Okay. Now, I got a real great compliment for you, and it's true. I'm so afraid you're about to say something awful. Don't be pessimistic. It's not your style. Okay. Here I go. Clearly a mistake. I've got this, what, ailment. My doctor, a shrink that I used to go to all the time, he says that in 50 or 60% of the cases, a pill really helps. I hate pills. Very dangerous thing, pills. Hate. I'm using the word hate here about pills. Hate. My compliment is that night when you came over and told me that you would never... Um... um all right, well... Uh, you were there. You know, you know what you said. Well, my compliment to you is the next morning I started taking the pills. I don't quite get how that's a compliment for me. You make me want to be a better man. That's maybe the best compliment of my life. Well, maybe I overshot a little because I was aiming at just enough to keep you from walking out. Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike. We start a new month with a new trilogy, and this time, boy, uh, we, we hit it out of the ballpark here. We're discussing 1997's As Good As It Gets, and honestly, I don't have many notes on this film. It's just the best. Uh, it's one of my four favorites on Letterboxd. Uh, we discussed this briefly a few episodes ago. And I rattled off four films right off the bat where it's like, these aren't my favorite films, I guess, but these are the ones that influenced me the most. And I'll retell this story for this episode. And it, the movie was on TV. I want to say TBS. And I was watching the film with my father because he's a big Jack Nicholson fan, specifically the comedic works. We were watching it and I was having a good time and I was still like maybe nine or ten and he was like, you're enjoying this? I was like, yeah, I am. And he was kind of surprised because this was the first kind of adult-oriented film that I was watching. And it was didn't involve a muscle-bound doofus punching a different lunkhead with bigger muscles. And so this is a film that changed my taste in film. This film made me want to be a better cinephile, Mike. Ooh, ooh. I have the opposite. 
oh, uh, no. life experience <laughs> than you uh, in that. So you, know, you pull up the Wikipedia page for this, and when you go to the, the box office, uh, which I, knew, I remember this being a hit, but the uh, sort of plethora of uh, adult entertainment we had at the time, this came out the same week as Titanic and uh, a Pierce Brosnan James Bond entry. I'm like, wow. wow. We, and yet again, we're recording still somewhat in COVID times where it's like, well, it's the Batman or uh, the Batman, I guess, is what, <laughs> what I'll see this week at the movies. But I do remember watching this one with my family and enjoying it. But I didn't really give it the sort of respect. I'm a, a teenager at this point when it comes out. I liked it. But I felt like, well, it's a little long. It's a little sappy. And I don't know. You know, it's like I didn't get how this was like a Best Picture uh, nominee. Like, And that's even being an angry teenager hating, you know, that Titanic was sweeping all the awards. <laughs> that one I still got. I'm like, well, it's a big budget spectacle. Of course, it belongs there. But I was like, why is this as good as it gets? Like, what was so special about this? But man, I, where I do agree with you is I came around to it <laughs> later in life, and I don't know if that's me becoming more of a misanthrope like Jack Nicholson's character, but uh, it's one I've revisited. It's on my Mount Rushmore of rom-coms, which uh, I do think, and Webb and I probably will disagree about this, 90s cinema is the peak of the rom-com. I don't know if it, it like started in the late 80s, but I feel like... We never got past the perfection of the 90s. Like, we could just sort of revisit it. And uh, I'll throw under the bus the sort of J-Lo, Matthew McConaughey 2000s effect on the rom-com where it's like, there's some good moments there. But I think at that point it, it had been discarded and certainly was not going to be best picture worthy. But yeah, I I came around to this one uh, much later in life and I probably watch it once a year as a strange pick-me-up. I don't know if that makes me a bad person that I want to see someone so angry at the world and I get such such glee out of it. I disagree with some of the critics. I saw that Ebert was somewhat lukewarm on it where he said like basically a happy ending. Uh, I think he even said that it forces a smile too often on subject matter where you shouldn't be smiling. And I, I disagree with that. I, I don't know. I mean, yes, this character, I, I have no idea how the Melvin Udall character would play in 2022 on on film twitter i don't know if we'd be allowed to root for him honestly though he was read i mean he was meant to be read as just as insulting and offensive in 1997 he was not meant to be seen as likable that's the arc of the film so i think maybe it's just that the culture has changed where uh we don't allow anyone to have a redemption story if they say certain certain things and i really like how you put it that it's the first film where uh, there's not a muscle-bound doofus, uh, you know, involved in fisticuffs. In fact, the closest you come, I think, is Kim Gooding Jr. attempting to lay hands on Jack Nicholson, and he, he doesn't want to be touched, and he immediately starts screaming for help. Help! Like is is the it is the opposite of a young man's game as far as seeing uh, masculinity. You see an angry man, but I wouldn't call Jack Nicholson's character strongly masculine or something that a young man would want to emulate. No, not at all. And I'm glad that you mentioned how this film would play today, because honestly, that's probably the only thing that really popped into my head as I watched it. I I went into this viewing uh, hoping to take some notes, but I never do when it comes to this film. I watch this film and I have my range of emotions, whatever it is I'm feeling at the time, and I exit the viewing always very, very pleased. I can never pinpoint exactly what I was feeling, but I know I had a good time. 
And the same thing occurred this viewing as well. I, I went on the highs and lows of each of these characters. However, that is the only thing that popped into my head that I do recall. It was like, wow, I wonder how this would play in 2022. And here's what I've decided. I think it would play the same because you are seeing the character say these racist and homophobic things. But the thing is, he's not racist and homophobic. He's just misanthropic, I guess. He just hates everything around him. And that's just the character. So I I guess you could say he gets away with saying these things. But it's not like somebody who's racist and homophobic. They're not going to be fist bumping during those scenes because that's not the arc of the character. That's not what the film is about. And why would they be watching this film anyways? Yeah, a James L. Brooks comedy. Um, probably not playing for the, uh, the, <laughs> the MAGA crowd. Yeah. Especially as, you know, Mr. Brooks is the... Um, Probably like the uh, Godfather of like the Judd Apatow style of comedy, where it's you're you know it's gonna be well over two hours. You're gonna have an ensemble. You're gonna have extra gags that you know maybe could have been cut. But uh, I'm like you, I'm hard pressed to say this movie's anything but perfect. I do remember as a teenager, somewhat checking out when you get to the road trip segment, and I I don't know how do you feel about. Greg Kinnear's arc as, as Simon. He has this, the, like the film sort of culminates in whether or not he's going to ask his, his parents for, for help here. And I, I, I didn't like it as a young man because we never meet the parents. And I'm like, well, that's just sort of a, a dead end. He just decides not to. I, I actually was, I guess, strikingly like the Jack Nicholson character as a teenager. I'm like, you, that was the whole point of this fucking trip. What do you mean you didn't ask for money? You need money. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> You're homeless. You've got nowhere to live. I didn't really understand, you know, the sort of the personal growth angle of the character. Then I was I was playing it way too practical. Then now I enjoy it. Now I enjoy the sort of like hang time with all these characters, and I understand that we need to get the three of them together that we we you know we we do Seinfeld a lot on this show we need the the worlds to collide for Melvin Udall <laughs> here with Simon and his growing love uh in uh, the character of Carol who um has that aged poorly not not the content of the film but the fact that Helen Hunt did not she did not go on to be the huge movie star that I think I would have expected even then as a teenager someone who's somewhat light on this film I'm like oh she's gonna dominate for the next you know decade or more you know she, she's won her oscar she's gonna leave tv she did the twister movie and it's didn't really she didn't really seem to have an interest in like sort of playing the game in that regard no i guess i don't know much that's what mad about you money gets you yeah like, i don't give a fuck <laughs> i can do what i want that syndicate yeah you hit that syndication number at 100 <laughs> you got it easy you got it made for the rest of your life and so maybe mm-hmm. that that might be it maybe she's one of those individuals who gravitates toward specific projects she was in a movie where she was like a masseuse for this a disabled individual the sessions the sessions mm-hmm. that's she right. got some good good uh recognition for that but uh yeah you know no oscar gold she got that one out of the way early now and hey who could ask for more she's got the syndication money she's got an oscar and what a brilliant job she does in this movie and really i mean even greg kinnear didn't really go on to become a huge movie star, but also found really great roles afterwards. As for his arc, I like it. I like it a lot. 
I think that he needs to get to that point uh, where he's not so much defined by his past tragedies. And what it also does, and because it's a great script, is that it allows Melvin also to kind of integrate him into his own life. And he kind of sees, because he goes from uh, the, the misanthropic nature to where he doesn't live with anybody else. He doesn't want to be around anybody else. It starts with the dog, and then with Greg Kinnear's character, and then eventually Helen Hunt, or at least you would like to extrapolate. Who knows what happens after they get those warm roles? But that's kind of the charm of the rom-com. It's like you want to uh, make sure, uh, or you want to believe that everything ultimately will work out okay. With this with this relationship, you're not sure, because I think there's going to be a lot of uh, speed bumps, but that's okay. You know, the only film that really moves past that phase, or at least gives you a, a peek into what's going on afterwards, is Away We Go, the Sam Mendes feature, because you've already skipped the entire, like, uh building of the relationship and you're looking at the couple afterwards and so one of the complaints i remember about that film was like well this is a couple who's already perfect what more do you want but i think the film is much better than that well if memory serves we are introduced to those two characters uh with john krasinski going down on my rudolph and saying that uh, her nether regions taste funny <laughs> literally kicking him out of bed yeah. <laughs> perfect maybe a stretch they have their own <laughs> their own way of bantering with one another um, that was a film that was somewhat uh, maligned, but I have a very, I have a soft spot for Me it. Me like too. To and, and you know what that means? That means going to end up on this podcast eventually. We could do a a proper road trip trilogy, including that one. I think. There you go. Speaking of Maya Rudolph, she shows up in this movie for a uh, uh, half a second, and that was kind of exciting. We got to see uh, Avon Barksdale show up for half. A it was fun picking and pointing <laughs> out some of these uh, background characters. So it's fun revisiting these films from uh, the mid to late '90s and seeing some of the characters. Uh, played by uh, these uh, uh, fairly well-known actors, so that was that was charming. Where do you? Where does this one sit? Like we kind of have talked about it as a rom-com, but is it? You know how people talk about uh, elevated horror, like, and I think they're usually talking about like a twenty-four kind of entries. Like it's a horror movie, but this one's serious. Like it you know, has <laughs> thematic weight to it, which you know is a little. I don't. I don't know. I, I'm already my sort of backs up a little bit on that. Like I'll be the one to decide <laughs> if it's elevated <laughs> or not. You can't market it as, as such. I would say that people may look at this one as like an elevated rom com. I mean, I think it is. But do you think that's fair or unfair to sort of set it aside? Like, no, no, no. This one's, you know, this one's not ten things I hate about you or like. Uh, 13 going on 30 because I, I mean i do think there's a distinction there's there's a difference as far as the weight of the subject matter but it feels like it's doing a disservice to the genre itself by saying it's better than your average rom-com why can't it just be the best of the genre i completely agree with you 110 percent. it's like when they take silence of the lambs like oh that's not a horror film uh, yeah, it is. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. but it is. And you are absolutely doing a disservice to the genre by trying to take away the best aspects of it. Like, I absolutely hate that. And it, to some extent, I think you're right about the 90s rom-com genre because it, it seemed like those kind of films got made without any pretension. The genre in and of itself has its trappings and it has its problems in terms of just like maybe you're not going to get every film that's going to be as good as it gets like i'm sorry but that 
But ultimately, that's how it is with every single genre. You take a look at a genre like drama, which encompasses everything, and you're going to have your bad films and you're going to have your good films. But for whatever reason, as soon as you label the the subgenre of, I guess, rom-com, all of a sudden it's looked down upon, and I hate that. And I think horror is the one genre that, that gets it the worst because of all the schlock that you see, uh, the slashers and the cheaply made films that go on to do really big business so uh, and but you know what those fans are absolutely passionate and i don't i i subscribe to the uh subreddit for horror which is lovingly called Dreadit. i don't know if there is a rom-com subreddit but i'm gonna look into it because i want to see if these fans are just as passionate i know you are i know i'm becoming as passionate i enjoy it and and your infectious passion of the genre is absolutely getting through to me. I think I was appalled recently when uh, you asked me, hey, how's Marry Me? Which, you know, J-Lo's, she's carrying the torch. She's trying to bring back the rom-com genre and bringing it to Peacock and theater, stay and date. Uh, and I said, well, you know, it's just, it's it's a lesser Notting Hill. And you admitted to me that you've not seen Notting Hill. And... You could have told me I've not seen Vertigo, and I don't think I would have had as visceral reaction <laughs> as like you've not seen Notting Hill. <laughs> like what? What is happening here? Like calling to work now, get the wife, pop the popcorn, watch Notting Hill. There, that's you know that came after as good as it gets. Maybe that's the peak. Maybe that was the the last hurrah of this genre. But uh, you know, earlier I kind of threw thirteen going on thirty under the bus. Just I think because my podcast brain was like ten things I hate about you. What's another movie with a number? actually really like 13 going on 30. <laughs> it's debatable to me if it's on the Mount Rushmore or not. Um, I had a question about, is this the most iconic Jack Nicholson performance as far as the Jack Nicholson persona? You're shaking your head no. Wait, what do you mean the Jack Nicholson persona? Just like him being himself on screen? The closest to what people approximate Jack Nicholson is ah. not not like his most famous role or you know the, the most worthy of his his gifts as an actor. But is this the closest when people think of Jack Nicholson, the closest part that he's played that people are like, yeah, that's what I think of when I think of Jack. Not necessarily. I think it's hard to separate The Shining, uh, One Flew. Uh, for me, Five Easy Pieces. I love uh, his performance in that film. So it's hard. See, I think I think you just struck out. I think you just swung <laughs> and missed three times. Cause, like, I, I never think of Jack Nicholson, sunglasses, sitting in the front row at the Oscars, taking an axe <laughs> to his family, <laughs> hating his father in Five Easy Pieces, asking the waitress to, well, maybe asking her to hold the, the chicken between her knees. Yeah, okay maybe that but like yes and i'm not saying he's homophobic in real life or uh has has these hang-ups about you know walking on cracks on the sidewalk it's just the the charm and the, the meanness that he's able to get away with that sort of smugness without being like a douchebag about it still someone you want to hang out that to me is what i think of when i think of jack Nicholson. Okay. and this role is is what fits for me like a glove aren't you proud of me that i didn't even mention the joker <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I noticed that uh, as good as it gets is the silver medal winner to Batman as far as his biggest financial success. <laughs> and I thought, how long will it take before <laughs> Webb brings that up? Like, yeah, it's pretty good, but it's no Batman 89. <laughs> I don't have the fondness for Batman 89 that I think the people that lived through that uh, 
through the film do because it, it was such a seminal moment but uh you know i i can understand like yeah when you think of jack nicholson like the person like i think this might be a perfect uh blend of maybe taking his personality and and going to the extreme with it it's possible uh, what did you think about all of the quirks and the idiosyncrasies that he has as somebody who is obsessive compulsive. Uh, it does come into play a little bit where he's uh, unable to uh, cross uh, certain sidewalks and pathways that are patterned that there's not enough surface area for him to put his entire foot on since he's trying to avoid stepping on cracks, uh, the way he bonds with the dog for the first time. And then, of course, towards the end when he goes into the bakery and he's having that moment with Helen Hunt and he notices he's stepping on uh, that, I think it was like a brick pattern uh, uh, sidewalk. It may be one grand gesture too much at the end there because god there are so many great speeches here uh i mean he has an all-timer if you're talking about like the mount rushmore of rom-coms probably the closest thing uh as far as like a grand gesture speech to to give to the significant other here that to rival the new year's uh eve speech of when harry met sally i think this is the closest as far as going like toe for toe when he talks about how um it makes him feel good that he's the only one in the world that possibly recognizes that everyone else has just met the greatest woman in the world and they don't even notice it. Yeah, him stepping on the crack, it's like, dude, you've already – you're just running up the score. Now, <laughs> yeah. Brooks. Like you, <laughs> you've already given us goods. I do, though. You mentioned the dog and I'm, I'm a sucker for dogs in particular. And when he has <laughs> like father-son moment – where he, he notices the, the dog stepping over the cracks and he picks him up and says, don't you be like me. You're perfect the way you are. <laughs> like, <I'm> just like <laughs> my heart swells. I'm like, that's <laughs> – they could have cut to the credits right then. I don't need Helen Hunt. Like it's just him and the dog right then there having that, that bonding moment. Just an, sort of an embarrassment of riches. Like that's sort of like an old-fashioned uh, studio comedy, the fact that Cuba Cooding Jr., is there is Jack Nicholson's handler as far as here's how you're going to act from now on. Like it's just a very brief performance and it's coming off of his uh, Academy award winning uh, victory for Jerry Maguire. And it's like, you know, James L Brooks is just like bringing all the the big guns to come in here and play these, these bit roles. I won't mention the unfortunate appearance of Skeet Ulrich though, which is like, that is the biggest time capsule element <laughs> of the film to me is like, Oh yeah, this was supposed to be the next Johnny Depp and it didn't work out. And you know, he takes his clothes off in front of Greg Kinnear. Like I wish it had been someone else. I wish, you know, if it had been like uh, a Marky Mark, you know, from Boogie Nights, that would have been, I think, you know, it would have improved the cast, but we we do have to put up with Skeet uh, momentarily in this film. Even Jamie and, Kennedy. And Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> if it was Jamie <laughs> <Okay. laughs> thinking the same thing like jesus <laughs> um yeah same agent from scream apparently i'm i'm thrilled that jack nicholson and helen hunt both won oscars for this i feel bad that greg Kinnear did not because he was also very integral to how the film ultimately uh, crescendos uh, uh in that uh finale i mean but to be honest with you like even the dog like, I feel like the dog had an Oscar-worthy performance, and so it was... Verdell, yeah. Probably played by seven different animals. Oh, but... I know, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm trying to see who beat uh, Greg Kinnear for the Oscar that year, because I I wouldn't expect it to, to one-up, I guess, The Silence of the Lambs. It, it is the last one, right? The Silence and this, as far as winning, like, the uh, the, the two leads getting to uh, oh. to be co-winners. I haven't looked that something like that up. I know the the 
the three films that have done it, uh, the, like the main five. Um, well, no, it, it happened one night and silence both took like the big five, which yes. is, you know, Titanic blocked that. Do you know uh, the third one? Uh, one flew of the cuckoo. Yes. Oh, good job. Yeah. Well done. So uh, well done. you're probably going to take back your, uh, support of Greg Kinnear. This was the year that Robin Williams won for Goodwill Hunting. Oh, that that's tough. Oh, I'm sorry, Greg Kinnear, but yeah, yeah I, that, that scene in, <laughs> you lose again, <laughs> <laughs> you lost in 1997 and now you're going to lose in 2022. <laughs> Yeah, that that scene where Robin Williams is uh, telling Matt Damon about how he hasn't thought of him since, and he just realized he's a kid. Yeah, that sealed it. It was very early in the film. I think it was like the second or third appearance of Robin Williams in the film, and it goes on for about four or five minutes. And, and I, I, I tear up every single time I watch that scene. Even you know, especially knowing that that Robin Williams is 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 gone now and so uh yeah i'm sorry mr kinnear but yeah. well done this is i probably have i probably have kinnear you know third or fourth that year in the nominees i know burt reynolds from boogie nights would also oh. know, have above there which so good times you know that was, was a good year for the movies yeah uh, you know we're recording this the i mean you'll hear it much later but we're recording this on oscar day and I can't see the future web. I don't think that 20 years after this year's Oscar, so we're going to be like, man, so many classics that were nominated <laughs> in 2021. Just don't think it's happening. No. Not like it was for this year. Oh, what's a shame is like, I mean, maybe not a shame, but like, I didn't know it was the Oscars until a couple of days ago. It's like, oh, those are coming up. All right. <laughs> <sighs> Just like, yeah, I, I feel bad that the, I mean, I, I feel like every Does that make single- us older or younger web. Because we're fitting into the younger demo of like, there's still an Oscars. Like, I feel like we're young and hip that we don't <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> yeah, and and there's almost boy, they're getting a bad rep mainly because not maybe even people younger than us who are really really into uh, you know the major the blockbusters and the MCU and the shift of what cinema is and and maybe the the so some people would say the pollution of like mainstream cinema and because those films aren't getting nominated there's not much of a reason but he, honestly even if spider-man was nominated this year there's no way the numbers would spike all of a sudden I, I, and that's why i do prefer the can uh film festival way of doing things where you get it's not the academy it's just hey these are the new judges for this year who we think because it's all subjective anyway. So I'd rather see, oh, this year, you know, Spike Lee was on uh, the panel and here's what they decided. So it's like it, it keeps things more interesting. Or the classic that, that I think the two of us discussed this before. We think the Oscars should be held 10 years after the the, the year of the, uh, the films come out so that there's time to reflect. I mean, we could play it meaner, Webb. <laughs> you can still have your Oscars, but you have to bring back – the winners have to bring back their – their statuettes and then we see them taken away <laughs> if it doesn't hold up 10 years later. <laughs> I like that. I think that. that would be great television. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, man, that would... Unless you have an event where living Greg Kinnear takes the Oscar from Robin Williams' <laughs> family, then that would be terrible television. <laughs>
I might be the only person on the face of the earth that knows you're the greatest woman on earth. I might be the only <laughs> one who appreciates how amazing you are in every single thing that you do. And how you are with Spencer. Spence. And in every single thought that you have and how you say what you mean and how you almost always mean something that's all about being straight and good. And I, I think most people miss that about you. And I watch them wondering how they can watch you bring their food and clear their tables and never get that they just met the greatest woman alive. And the fact that I get it makes me feel good about me. <laughs> Is that something that it's uh, bad for you to be around? For you? No. <laughs> I'm gonna grab you. <laughs> I, I didn't mean for that to be a question. I'm gonna grab you. I know I can do better than that. Oh, well, I'm... 